Good. So we are in a marriage series, right? So I don't know if you've noticed it, but like for me, I've noticed that my, my wife is different than me, right? So, so some of these differences come out in different ways, but one of those is um, early in the morning, like an ungodly part of the day, she begins to stir, right? So like sometimes 5 o'clock, sometimes 5.30, if she sleeps in 6 o'clock, you know what I mean? And she begins to stir and begins to move. And I'm on the other side going, what's wrong with you? Just sleep. And she's going, I can't. It's like that whole line from, I just tells you that I have kids. So here you go. But it's that line from like Frozen where she's like, I'm awake because the sky's awake. You know what I mean? Like that's my wife, right? It, it, like daytime is burning. So she gets up and, and like does her thing. And sometimes that thing includes her little juice bottle things. Somebody's glasses. I'm going to step on those. They're here if anybody's missing your glasses. There you go. But sometimes it's her little juicer thing and she fires it up. It's basically a blender, right? And I'm like, what are you doing? Like people are sleeping. And she's like fully into it at this point. Like she's already painted the Milky Way with like her prayers and and like she spent her time with Jesus. And I get up a whole hour later and morning's gone, right? It's like lunchtime to her. But we're different. Like, I, I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy getting up early. She can't sleep, even if she wanted to. Take another example, right? Calendars, right? She is a calendar person. She wants to know what the plan is, right? Vacation comes around. She's like, so, so what's the plan? I'm like, I don't got one. It's vacation. And she's like, no, 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 no. What, what's the plan? Like, what are we doing? And, and, and so I think over time, she's like, learned how to put up with my side. You know what I'm saying? Like, which my side's closer to God, just so we're clear, okay? So, but I think she's, she's learned how to put up on my side because now she doesn't like, she didn't ask for a full plan, like not the, not the whole week. She asked for one day at a time and stuff like, are we going out or are we staying in? And my answer is, yeah, right? And she's like, no, 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 just define it for me. Like, like out or in, I, I guess we'll go out at some point. She's like, okay, so I can plan on going out, right? And we're just different. We're wired totally different. And as we get in this marriage series, maybe something we just need to realize and anchor into, and we'll talk about it today, is just that marriage is hard. And marriage is hard because you got two people who are totally different coming into the same space. Right? But marriage is hard. Like, I heard this quote, um, I read this quote this week, that the conflict is the proof that you did not marry yourself. Some of you got it. The rest of you are waiting. It's coming. Right? Right? It's proof that you didn't marry yourself. By the way, if you're in a marriage and you have no conflict, first of all, you're liars. Okay? But if that is you, you probably married yourself. Well done. Right? But the idea is that, that, that there, there will be conflict. Another guy said, another quote was that he's been married... His wife has been married to five different men in the time that they've been married, and each one was him, right? Because he's changed, he's morphed. If I look at my life 20 years ago to where I am now, like, I am a different person for the better, praise God, because of my wife, right? And so, so it's this idea that it's hard. I talked to another person, she's a lady, she's been married for 50 years. She, she's, she makes this quote, right? She says, train up the man in the way he should go. And I'm like... I don't think that verse quite goes like that, but, right? And and it's this idea that marriage is just difficult. There, There are 
going to be conflict. And if you're in the room today and you're single, right, and you're here and you're going, ah, I came to the marriage series. Um, I believe God's got something for you today. We're, we're going to go, we're going to go over kind of what marriage is. We're going to go over some stuff on love and then we're going to end with Jesus. But, but I firmly believe if you're in the room and you're single, let me, let me frame something up for you real quick. There are two types of singles. There are those that never, ever want to be married, don't want a spouse, and could care less about the opposite sex than that part of the human race, right? Then there are other um, singles that desperately want to be married. Okay, both of those groups have friends who are married. They know someone who is married. And I believe that your role your role is you're either preparing to be married, and so the information I have today is going to be super helpful for that, or your, your role in the kingdom work is drawing alongside people and encouraging them in their marriages. And, and I hope that you get given some tools today. Um, if you're single in the room, you get given some tools that you can walk out of here going, I know how to encourage you in your marriage. Even though I've never been married, I can encourage you because of, of stuff that I understand from Scripture. Because here's what I know. One of the pictures that God chooses, for, and God can choose whatever he wants because he's God, right? But one of the pictures that God chooses to display himself, to display Christ in the church, is marriage. That means it becomes vital because what the world sees in our marriages is the world sees Jesus. They see God. They see the church. They see the mission that he's on, right? So it becomes vital for us that our marriages are healthy. Our marriages are strong. And I believe that when we frame them up in the biblical context, it will help help with that. So if you're single, I truly believe you have a part in this. Even if you're not married, you have a part in kingdom work because you know someone who is. If you're married, I hope you walk out of here going, man, I can work on that this week. I can plug into that this week. I can take that truth and and apply it this week. So so that's that's my hope and prayer for you this morning. Something along the way will grab your attention. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Story we're going to jump into, God has already created man, and man is in the garden, right? And now, now God begins to dialogue. So, so chapter one is this poem, it's literal, it's, it's the creation, but it's, it has this rhythm and this movement. Hit chapter two, chapter two now breaks it into a narrative and begins to explain further parts of it. So chapter two, verse 18 goes like this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be what? Alone. Okay, so... Remember that song we sing, like, all I need is you, Lord? Not true. Biblically not true. Right? That, the idea that we get where it's like, God, I just need you and no one else. According to God, because at this point, man had God, ESPN, and meat, and he wasn't okay. Okay? So, gentlemen in the room, we need more than ESPN, meat, and God. Okay? Right? God comes along and he goes, hey... It's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. Maybe just a quick side note. If you're in a room and you think that you're okay as an island, let me tell you you're not okay as an island because you weren't designed to be an island. You were designed to need others. And one of the contexts is that God provides for that need is in marriage. But he also provides in many other ways. And, and we have life groups and connection points and friends and other groups and we need those. Those are vital to us. But it says, 
I will make a helper. So God says, it's not good for you to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him, right? Now, this word helper gets a, a bad rap sometimes in Christian circles. Let me, let me give you, it's a, it's a four-letter word in the Hebrew, and it's E-Z-E-R, okay? And, and that four-letter word means closer to partner, okay? And the idea of partner is this. That, that you have something that is God-given. And if you think at this point, man's in the garden. God's given him a specific task to do, right? She comes along and she is now a partner. What God is going to give him in this helper is a partner to accomplish what God has said in front of him. So, so the idea is that this, this helper is a partner to come alongside and to move forward with the mission of God, with the purpose of God that is put in front of them. So if you've ever seen a really good marriage, what you'll notice is that they've been together on this journey and they've been pushing this mission forward the whole time. So in this context, then when he says, I make a helper suitable, the idea is partner. I want to be really, really clear in the original marriage, in a perfect situation, right? God doesn't create someone who is subservient to the other. What I mean by that, he doesn't make one a master and one a slave. He doesn't make one a possession of the other. He makes this one to come alongside and to partner with and to move forward what God's doing. Now, the way he does this is it's, a, it's an intimate relationship, and we'll talk more about that as we move on. So he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. So story goes along, right? God notices that man has an issue. So he has a plan. Hey, Adam, name them for me, right? So he brings them to two giraffes, two sheep, two donkeys, two cows, two cockroaches, right? And God's trying to tell him something. I'm talking and naming them. They're not naming me. 400 rabbits. Weird. To see what he would name them. When whatever he called each living creature, that was its name. Next verse. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper, no partner was found. God, it's as if God's walking him through this going, the light bulb's going to go on any moment, any moment, any moment. And finally he says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep. It's like God goes, you know what, just lay down and go to sleep. I'll take care of this. Right, I got you. So, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. Really, really, really important. Like for me, light bulbs went on this week. Okay. Now to you, you're probably going to hear this and go, that's really dumb. Like that made a light bulb go on in you. You and Adam are probably from the same branch. You know what I'm saying? But the light bulb that went on was this. He made man and he made woman, right? But the way he made them, he took the man and he formed the man from the dust, right? It says that God formed him and breathed into him, right? But it also says that he took a rib and he made the same concept, the same, same language, the same movement. He formed the woman, Okay, okay, this is where it gets good, right? Because he forms the man and he forms the woman. He creates them. He molds them. He puts them exactly as he wants them to be. But one is man and one is woman. And they are very, very, very different. 
So although they are the same, that they are human, they are extremely different. And you're going, why is that unique? Like you haven't figured that out? Okay, hang on, hang on. But what does he do with them? He makes them completely up. Okay, just, just for a second. I am just beginning to scratch the surface of this, right, in my world. Um, my wife went through a surgery a couple of years ago, and, and hormonally, like, everything changed. Like, I don't even understand the makeup of women, right? I don't even understand what goes on in their bodies. I don't even understand. But I know this, that it's completely different than what's going on in me. God takes two things, both humans, very different, and he moves them into what? Same space. Notice the end of this verse. And he brought her to the man. Don't ever get annoyed by the differences in your marriage. They were intended to be there. Don't ever get annoyed that your your spouse is so different than you. In the perfect environment where sin didn't exist, God creates man and he creates woman, same yet totally different, and he brings her to him. Your differences are intentional by God. Ron talked about it last week, that those differences are taking edges off and they're changing you, and God's using that very thing to make you more like Jesus, right? But the differences sometimes, if we're honest, the differences are what begin to divide and push us apart. But can we just acknowledge and can we just praise and can we just like in, in the moment go, it's okay. You're designed to be different than me. That's a good thing. Because there's too many people that are giving up on each other because we have differences that just can't be reckoned. We're just two different people. You were meant to be two different people. God crafted and formed you to be two different people. And then it says he brought her. Okay, okay. Adam knew God before he knew Eve. Eve knew God before she knew Adam. Single people in the room, one second. I know it's marriage and you probably checked out already, but listen. Adam knew God before he knew Eve. Eve knew God before she knew Adam. If you are single, your job right now, your number one sole focus is focus on God. Let Him worry about it. Your role right now is to be the person that God is crafting you to be. The only way you're going to do that is focus on Him. Stop worrying about who you want to bring in. Focus on Him. And as it says here, let Him do the work. Okay, gets even more better. You ready? He brings her to the man. She is a gift. She's a gift. Man, look at your spouse and go, you're a gift. Go ahead. I'm not joking. Wow, you guys are lame. You know that? Look at your spouse square in the eyes. This is good for you. This might save your marriage. Look into your eyes. Got it? Your gift. You know why? Because you'll forget that. When the differences come, so for example, right, when the things that my wife used to do when we were dating, and and I was like, oh, so cute, she's so great, right? Two years later, why are you doing that? Right? Like, Like there's this moment where things that once we were like, oh, that's so amazing, you're the best person on the planet, right? 
and you talk in your little goofy voice to each other. Don't act like you didn't. Everybody does. Right? And you'd have this little schmooky poo, whatever, right? And then, and then now you get married and the goofy voice is gone and you're like cussing up a storm because she's doing what she's always done, but now it annoys you. Right? You forgot she's a gift. You see, what this teaches us is that God brought her. He, okay, just, just back up for one second. He took a rib, handcrafted her for him. Your spouse is a handcrafted gift by God. And you know, part of the problem is when we lose sight that my spouse is a handcrafted gift by God, then division comes in. And what happens is I start to objectify her. I start to control her. I start to possess her. I start to use her and I start to push her away. Maybe we just need to get back to the very basics of going, you're a gift from God and I'm going to treat you that way. Next verse. Okay, so this is, this, okay, right? So, so, so God makes a man fall asleep, creates this woman. He sees woman for the first time, right? right? These are the first recorded words of, of, of man, right? It's poetry. It's poetry. Man breaks out in a poem. The only time a man will break out in poem is when he sees a naked woman, right? So he breaks out and he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man. Now it gets really fun because Jesus later gives this next part credit to God. He says that God said, right? And he refers back to this because some commentators go, well, that's, that's just the, the writer's thoughts. No, this is God's thoughts. He goes, so God essentially joins in with the man going, your poem's okay, but let me give you a better one. This is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Because they have been brought together by God. Because she is a gift. He is a gift. Because they are being united for a purpose. They're partners, right? They become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked. And they felt no shame. I heard a, I heard a comedian talk about this last part. That if God, if God would have clothed Eve we would still be in the garden. But the fact that it was a naked woman with an apple, Adam's like, I'm in, right? So the mother and his, the the father and mother and is united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Okay, okay, this is the profound mystery. This is what, this is what this imagery is. You think you're just making love? You think it's just about two souls mingling and coming together? What God says is that that mystery of how two can become one is the profound mystery of God and his church. That all of us, as different as we are, can come together and be one united. Like it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense other than God is doing something beautiful and amazing in joining them together. So what we just went through is marriage in its original context in a perfect environment. In a perfect environment, you have someone who is vastly different from someone else being joined together. That was imperfection. So, so why do we expect that now it would get any easier? Now that we're in a fallen state and we're, we're all selfish and, and all our desires are selfish, why would it get any easier? And, and so there's this other thing that I believe God did for us because in the middle of the Bible, there's this little book called Song of Solomon, right? And if you were a Jewish boy back in the day, and you were being trained to be a rabbi, you couldn't even read this book until you were 30. 
right? This book is so beautifully crafted. It is a love story of two married people. It is essentially God telling us, giving us a blueprint of, of in the marriage context, what does love look like? How does love, because here's the thing, love is the glue that holds this thing together. How do I know this, right? God made man in his image. Man and woman are made in the image of God. God is love, right? And so that means that man and woman, especially in the marriage context, are now free to be able to give love and receive love. They are free to be known and to, and to know, right? So, so in that context, then, love becomes a vital part in holding this thing together. The problem is we try and define love when we hear that and we go, yeah, all you need is love. Well, that's not true either, but, right? But, but love becomes the vital part of this marriage in holding it together and moving it forward throughout the years. So here's, here's what I mean, right? In English, we have this definition. And if I say I'm in love... A def- definition according to dictionary, right? It means that I have an intense feeling of deep attraction. So when I say I'm in love with my wife, what I'm saying is I have, a, I have an intense feeling of deep attraction for her. The problem is I will also say, oh, I'm in love with tacos. Well, I have an intense feeling of deep attraction, but here's the problem. I may not have tacos today because I prefer something else. See how this works? So in the marriage context, if I base it on our definition of love, then what happens is my intense feeling can become a what? Can become less intense. It can disappear. You ever sat with somebody who's married and they go, "Ah, we just don't love each other anymore. And what they're actually saying is we just don't have these intense feelings anymore. The feelings have gone away. Guess what? Guess what? There will be seasons where feelings go away. So our definition of love surely can't be, and and if I say I love you, another definition was I feel deep romantic or sexual um, attachment to you, right? So so I, I feel this deep emotion towards you. Again, it's what I feel. If love is a feeling, we're gonna be in trouble. And so I believe that's why Song of Solomon, where we're gonna go next in the middle of the Bible, this, this story of marriage, and it unfolds in front of us, I believe it's there to help us understand what is love. What does it look like? So in Song of Solomon chapter 2, it says, My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. That word darling is, is one of the words for love. And if you translate, if you say it in the Hebrew, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but you're all going to say it with me anyways, is Raya. So on the count of three, everybody's going to say Raya. One, two, three. Good job. Okay, so Raya is this idea of friendship. And the first aspect of love, if you like, that you, you discover in here is this idea that Raya is this friendship that grows between two people. It's, it's a friendship. So for me, when I met my wife, right, um, we, the first time I went and hung out with her, we were going bowling with a group, and I, in a moment of honesty, I'll tell you, I was going for someone else, not my wife. And what God did is he put me in the car with my wife, right? I'm from England, didn't have a car, couldn't drive, so I needed a ride. She gave me a ride. We started talking, and we continued talking at the bowling alley. We continued talking later at the restaurant. And by the time we got home, I was begging my room assistant at the time because it was in Bible college that I don't need to come up and keep curfew. I can break curfew and hang out with her. And he's like, no, you can't. You need to come up. Right? And then the next morning I woke up, guess what I was thinking about? I just want to talk to her again. 
Right. And so we started talking again and we kept talking. And I remember my brother called me and my brother goes, hey, how's school going? And, and I remember telling him, I, th- I think I met someone. And he's like, it's been three weeks, man. How could you have met someone? I'm like, I don't know. I think I have, you know, and, and he goes, well, what's different? And I go, I can tell her anything. See, the difference for me was everybody I'd ever met before and, and we started to get to know each other. They annoyed me. By week two, it was like, oh, my gosh, if I don't get away from you, I'm going to die. Like with my wife, it was the opposite. With my wife, it was I could tell her anything and I wanted to tell her everything and vice versa. Right. And, and so this friendship grew, this this raya, if you like, grew and, and it became to, to the point where what raya is, is like when you go, oh, tomorrow's Monday. We don't have to work. Let's hang out. That's what Raya is. Raya is if we have free time, I can think of no better way to spend my free time than having you in my space. I can think of no better friend that I would want to do that with than you. And so what Raya is, is this deep, deep friendship that builds, that has this bond. And that is the foundation part of love. That's the first step. If you're in a room and you're single and you're going, ah, I just want to meet Mr. Whatever or Mrs. Whatever. Can I tell you the best way to do it is just get in the friend zone. And stay in the friend zone. And it will become abundantly clear as that relationship grows in the friend zone. It will become amazingly abundantly clear that when Raya begins to grow, you'll know. Because Raya leads you somewhere else. And it's in the next verse, chapter 8. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. And this word, the Hebrew word for this, is ahava. Ready? So on the count of three, you're going to say ahava. One, two, three. So you have raya, which is a friendship that grows, and you just want to hang out and be in each other's space. But then something happens Within the heart and the soul, it begins to meld, melt together with the, with the will. And it begins to drive young people to say crazy things in front of pastors, right? So, so these young people, the rayage grown, and now Ahava is beginning to grow. And Ahava gets so strong, it's strong like death. And Ahava is like a mighty river. And Ahava moves you. And so once this friendship grows and Ahava takes over, right, this love grows to a point where people will stand and say the most ridiculous things like, for better or... Ha! There's no other place on the planet that you're going to go for better or no matter how bad this gets. You don't do it. But love has a way of making you crazy. Every crazy thing you ever did was because of love, right? But love has this way and ahava grows. And we begin to go, you know what? I can't stand to be without you. In fact, for me, I knew ahava had grown when my wife, we had, a, we had a break from school. And she'd gone back to California. I was still in Wisconsin. And we were supposed to be apart. We couldn't remember how many days, but she came back way early because we just could not not be in each other's space. We, we, Ahava had grown to the point where I knew is when she came back, this is the one that I'm supposed to marry because I can't stand to be away from her. This is the one that I want to stand and go till death do us part. That's crazy, okay? But that's Ahava. 
ahava is when my soul and my heart and my will have all melded together to the point where I'm like, I am in this no matter what. By the way, when you stand at the altar and you use the words that ahava inspires you to use, can I remind you that's the start. That's not the end. You didn't cross a finish line. Because the finish line is way down here and the finish line involves me holding my wife's hand and one of us is going to give up our last breath. What you're planning for is I want to still be holding her hand when one of us breathes our last. That's the finish line. And what Ahava does is Ahava makes statements here based on this friendship of Raya. Ahava says, I love you so much that I am willing to give you everything. I'm willing to commit everything to you no matter what should come. And then there's another piece of love, another aspect. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is more delightful than wine. Depends how much you like wine, how much this verse means to you, right? But... but Your love is more delightful. It's sweeter than. It's more intoxicating. It controls me. It takes over me. It engulfs me, right? This word for love in the Hebrew is dod. Ready? Dod, right? Dod is is this, this moment when you realize I can't keep my hands off of you. I am going to go crazy if I cannot get my hands on you, so to speak, right? And what Dode does is Dode takes this friendship and it takes this commitment. And then when Dode enters, Dode is this moment of explosion, right? And under the banner of commitment that's been made, Dode is this moment where it explodes. And it's like the Hebrew, the rabbis, when they try and describe this, they talk about how Dode, this physical intimacy, this, this making love was like when it was in its full, fully engulfed moment, you couldn't tell who was who because the souls were mingling. Don't ever miss, because Jesus refers to this too, don't ever miss that sexual intimacy inside of the marriage is a spiritual moment. It's not physical because you are a spiritual being. And there's a moment inside of this that belongs inside of friendship that's built to Ahava where commitments are made. The commitment now makes it safe for Dode to exist in its fully. Passion ignites and explodes inside of that. Here's the problem. In our society, there are, you know what an affair is? An affair is somebody who says, I want dode, but I don't want anything else. It can't survive. It will die because it has no foundation. And while it may be good for a moment, it will destroy you. Because you're trying to mingle your soul with someone that you can't. And and what happens is, you ever meet someone and they go, Oh, we're just best friends. And we, it's like we live together with my best friend, but they have nothing else. They need to be reminded that, that inside of this God's intention, it is good. It is good for Dode to be a part of your relationship. It is right. It is the moment when, I don't get it, but Ephesians talks about it's the profound mystery of the church. And, and then there are others that, 
they're, they're fully committed to each other, but they're neither friends or lovers. They're just, we're just sticking it out for the kids. Man, maybe what they need, maybe what you need to do, maybe, maybe what you need to tell them is, hey, remember, do you remember you were friends? Remind them, send them on dates. Tell them to talk about conversations of old. Remind them of what it was to trust one another. Remind them of what it was to like each other for your differences, not hate each other for them. Remind them that they were designed in this marriage relationship to have crazy passion for one another. You guys watch the show. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. It's pretty popular in our culture, Bachelor. Here's the problem with The Bachelor. They begin with Dode and try and build the other pillars in. And what happens at the end of The Bachelor is someone will get on one knee, which is Ahava. He's trying to make a commitment. But the problem is the other pieces aren't as they should be. And then they spend years. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Why? Because they're reverse engineering what God designed. It doesn't work. There's another show that's becoming more and more popular. They actually call it an experiment. It's called Married at First Sight. And Married at First Sight is they take two complete strangers, they bring them to the altar. It's the first time they see each other. They just both desperately want to be married, so they put them together, and they make commitments. They ahavai each other, and then the rest of the show is trying to figure out, is there dode between them, and is there raya? Can these grow? It's reverse engineering. And maybe for some of you, you came in today and you're like, man, man, I'm on the, I'm on the edge. I'm on the edge. I don't, I, I don't even know if I'm going to be married when I walk out that door. Can I, can I pull you back for one second and take you to the foundation of Ahava? Ahava is when you surrender your will to the other for better or worse. No matter what comes, I surrender it to you. I'm committed to you. I will stand by my commitment. I will anchor into this. And whatever we've got to do to remind ourselves of the other, wherever we've got to go, however long it takes, I am willing to do it for you. I met a gentleman last service. He came up. He was actually visiting. And he just said, you know what? Thank you so much because I'm walking out these doors knowing my wife and I are separated, knowing that I need to go and be her friend. That's beautiful, y'all. That's the point of this. Where's your marriage? Where do you need to focus? Do you need to remind each other that you're friends, remind each other of commitment, and remind each other that you're lovers? Single people in the room, don't start on the lover end. That whole line that's out there, the friends with benefits, guess why it doesn't work? There's no commitment. There's no commitment. You will get hurt. You will be heartbroken. One last image and we're out of here. There's a street in the old city called the Via Della Rosa. And it's believed that this is where Jesus took the cross. And it's believed that Jesus, who is God, God is love. Jesus is the embodiment of love. And so he, love is walking down the Via Della Rosa, right? And he's got the cross on his back and there's blood and he's, he's bleeding out as he's going, right? I want to give you some images of how this whole love thing works inside of this, right? Because I believe what helped him get down the Via Della Rosa was the fact that as he walked that street, God desired a relationship with you. And that relationship, that friendship meant so much to him that he desired it so deeply that he began to put one foot in front of another and walk it out. 
And as he got down that road, he had to make a choice. He had to lay down his will. He had to make a commitment to go, you know what, church? No matter what you do, no matter whether you accept me or not, I'm going to go and I'm going to make a commitment to you because I love you this much, because I desire friendship with you and a relationship with you this much that I will lay down my will. I will fully commit to you for better or worse, no matter the cost. I will stretch out my arms freely. I lay it down and even use that language. He says, I lay down my life for my friends, right? And then it gets to the point of passion, right? This Jode where God desires intimacy with you so much that he stretches out his arms and he lets them, he lets them put nails in him. He lets them hang him on a cross because his passion is so rich and so deep for you to know him that he desires later in the New Testament, the writers began to use language like that you are in Christ. What does that mean? You are one with Christ. When Jesus hung out, when Jesus rose again, when he conquered death, he took you and he put you in him. You are one with Christ. That's the intimacy of Dode. Jesus chose the cross for you. Why? Because of love. Because love was embodied and love hung for you. What do you need to do today to be the embodiment of Jesus in your space? Singles, what does it look like for you to live out love? Married couples, where do you need to anchor into? You need to hear this. God is for your marriage. Let me say it again. God is for your marriage. It was his intent all the way along. And he was his intent that you, as vastly different as you are, he's going to put you together. And love is strong enough to hold you. God, we come before you. We God, thank you. Thank you for being willing to die for us. Thank you for being willing to show us love. Thank you for being willing to, God, embody what it means to be loved. Thank you for allowing us to see what commitment looks like, God, that you were fully committed to us long before we ever made any form of commitment to you. God, thank you that you have pursued us with a passion. Thank you that you have you have shown us what it's like to love. God, would you take us now? And would you remind us? Would you speak over us in these next moments as we sing? God, as we stand and we raise our voices, would we also be hearing you? Would you speak truth to us? Would you remind us that in Jesus, all that we have. Would you remind us that we have life because of you? Would you remind us that we, we have strength because of you? Would you remind us that as we stare at you, would you speak over us what we need today, God, to live out in our marriages? Would you give us a word to walk out these doors and live out this week? And so, God, as we stand and we sing and we raise our voices to you. We recognize that you are the risen king. You are God. And God, you frame up everything else. And so we will sing with everything we have. We love you. And everybody said.